One of the problems about a feast day today like this, um, we don't get the full gospel text, so let's kind of review a bit. When the archangel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, who was about to offer incense, which, by the way, was something that a priest might be selected to do only once in his entire lifetime, Zechariah experienced fear. When the archangel gave the good news that Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers for a child were to be answered, what does Zechariah do? We don't have it in our text tonight. But he felt it important to point out to the archangel that both he and his wife were advanced in years. That all too human condition of trying to impose limitations on God. Not at all happy with Zechariah's lack of gratitude and joy, the archangel sentenced Zechariah to nine months of being unable to speak which probably made Elizabeth very happy. One can only imagine the reaction of all the other priests, Zechariah's friends and family members. It no doubt triggered all kinds of rumors and speculations. It would have evoked a measure of fear. Nine months later, Elizabeth gave birth. On the very day of the boy's circumcision, neighbors and relatives were going to name the child after his father, Zechariah. Elizabeth made it clear, oh no, his name is going to be John. She and Zechariah had obviously communicated with each other over those nine months, most likely through writing. And the guests went to Zechariah, who motioned for a tablet and wrote, John is his name. At that very moment, the gospel tells us, Zechariah's silence was lifted, and he used his very first words to bless God. The reaction of all, says the gospel, was fear. The gospel uses the Greek word phobos for the Hebrew word yare. In both languages, that word fear is used to describe a reaction to war, punishment, or danger. But, this is critical, that word is also used to describe the human reaction to an encounter with the holy. Human nature is hardwired for the holy, for the sacred, we are driven to seek out the transcendent, that which is completely other to ourselves. Every human society that we have ever known about has had a sense of the holy. And when we have encounters with the holy, precisely because it is so totally other, so completely different, and so totally out of our control, the experience creates fear, but also fascination. We look at Peter's response to Jesus' revelation of his divine nature at the event we call the transfiguration. Peter was afraid. Indeed, he was terrified. At the same time, his fear motivated him to do what? To build three booths, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for the prophet Elijah, as if Peter might sustain this profound experience of the holy. Now, Scripture tells us 
There are two types of fear of God. Fear that is destructive and fear that is necessary. We moderns don't like that part. We don't think we should have a fear of God. Rethink that. Jesus tells the story in Matthew's Gospel of a man leaving on a journey, and he trusted his servants with talents. One talent was the equivalent of an average worker's lifetime of wages. That's a lot of money. The servant who was given the one talent was riddled with fear, the type of fear that produced anxiety, so much so he hid the talent he wasted that precious opportunity to risk the trust that his master had in him. This kind of servile fear, warns Jesus, is destructive to one's relationship with God. It destroys the work God desires to accomplish through us. The book of Revelation warns in chapter 2, verse 18, that the destiny of the cowardly is to be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The only creatures that should have a servile fear of God are the demons, as the Apostle James writes in his letter, chapter 2, verse 9. But then, there is a good and necessary fear of God. This is the kind of fear that compels us to constantly reevaluate our relationship with God. Psalm 36, verse 1 warns what happens if that fear is absent. It says, Sin speaks to the sinner deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He spurns not evil. Good fear, holy fear, if you like, reminds us that God does not want us to experience the alienation from him that our sins create, but to come to him, no matter what our condition. Holy fear gives us the courage to approach God, confident of his love and forgiveness, even though we might feel, we might know, we are utterly unworthy, that we must accept that we are accepted, no matter how unacceptable we think we are. As the Protestant theologian Paul Tillich once wrote, good fear, holy fear, reminds us to remain grounded and what the Apostle John tells us in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. You will never find this expressed in the Hebrew Bible. You will never see this expressed in Islam. Only Christianity dares to say God is love. And that is how God approaches us. Holy fear consoles us with the assurance that God sees beyond all our failures, our sins, our many fallings from his grace to the wealth of potential that he implanted in every single one of us and to trust that we can do what he has empowered us to do in this life.
The friends and neighbors of Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced fear at the birth of John the Baptist. It was a holy fear, a good fear. They rightly sensed that God was going to do something wonderful through this child. We too need this holy fear because what was true of John the Baptist is true for every single one of us. God wants to do something wonderful through each of us in this life.